Welcome to the Jannie and Angie Show with January Donovan and Angela Schneiders. We have a dream to rebuild our church and restore the tender love of Christ to every human heart. We believe in women's irreplaceable role in rebuilding our church, our culture, and our domestic church. As St. Catherine of Siena reminds us, be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. It is time to rise and reclaim souls for Christ. We must deepen our formation as women and prepare ourselves to lead the new evangelization. Our vision in the Women's School is to build our church one woman's formation at a time, and only then will we set the world on fire for Christ. Welcome to the Rebuild Our Church podcast, the Janie and Angie Show. And we're so excited today to have our special guests, uh, fellow strategist Naomi Zapetta and Father Mike Schmitz. Father, we just want to thank you and welcome you to our show today. It is such an honor to be with you, and we just thank you for the gift of your time. And before we dive in and introduce you, I'd love to just dedicate this time to our Lord and open in prayer. And specifically, uh, one of our favorite prayers written by St. John Paul to Mary Immaculate. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Immaculate Conception, Mary, my mother, live in me, act in me, speak in me and through me. Think your thoughts in my mind, love through my heart. Give me your dispositions and feelings. Teach lead me and guide me to jesus correct enlighten expand my thoughts and behavior possess my soul take over my entire personality and life replace it with yourself incline me to constant adoration pray in me and through me let me live in you and keep me in this union always our lady queen of peace pray, pray, pray for us in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, Father Mike. For all of our listeners out there, um, Father Mike is one of the uh, greatest gifts to the church. He is currently serving as the Director of Young Adult and Youth Ministry for the Diocese of Duluth. He is an amazing chaplain at the Newman Center at the University of Minnesota Duluth. And I think above all, Father Mike, I just want to thank you and honor you for your yes to your fatherhood. You are leading all of us into greater intimacy with the Father. And um, the passion with which out you live out your fatherhood, your, your priesthood, your love for the sacraments, and just inviting us each and every day to deeper intimacy is, is the hope that we need right now. And um, it's just been a, a gift. I've get to, get to see you, uh, able to see you more often with, with uh, our current events, just your, your masses. And it's just an incredible privilege to have you on the show today. Thank you, Angela. That means a lot. Thank you. And thank you for, again, such being so gracious. I'm just like, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm like a short sleep priest right now. I'm like, I just, <laughs> nothing special, but I really, I, I receive what you say just because it is, uh, it just honors me a lot. So thank you so much. And also thank you for even noting, uh, I know we still have more introduction stuff, but like that sense of like even acknowledging fatherhood has been so powerful in my own life recently more recently than ever i'd say in the last five or six years wow i'm just like that is that is what I, that's who i was ordained to be that's what i was yes. ordained to be um all yes. the functionary things that you know we train priests uh to do has been in so many ways uh, uh 
rounded out and, and filled out, made three-dimensional uh, because that one word, fatherhood. And so thank you for that. Just, it means a lot. That. Well, it's a gift because the more deeply you're living your fatherhood, it's more easy for us to live who we are as beloved daughters, you know, so we're just so yeah. grateful. So thank you. And for our listeners out there, um, January and I, and Naomi, were just so struck a couple of months ago at the Virtual Catholic Conference. You were one of our keynote speakers and just even that title, Living Life by Design and Not by Default. We, we all were like, is Father Mike part of the women's school? What's going on? Because that's so much the heart of what we're trying to, to prepare women for as they're going for into that formation, that our Lord doesn't operate in chaos. Our Lord operates in order and in peace. And so I'm going to turn over to January just to really set the context for our conversation today to pull back the veil more on the women's school and, and how we are coming from the heart of our church as we're trying to rebuild women's uh, worth through, the, through formation and, um, and truly understanding God's dream and desire for us. Awesome. Well, thank you, Father Mike. My children are so excited I'm speaking to you. They think you're the coolest priest ever. I have seven children and they're so excited. So thank you. It's a grace. I feel like I'm here with um, just, you know, three daughters and just a father and just to speak heart to heart and, and really just to give you and also our listeners here, really the vision of the Woman's School is to rebuild culture, one woman's worth at a time from the inside out, beginning with our own. Mm-hmm. And really our own because we can't give life we do not possess and that that our life is meant to be a reservoir and in order to be filled we are to live a life of receptivity which is really about our virtue of our lady but the question is how and so really the woman's school we try to fill in the how and what we have really focused on is really that life of internal discipline and it's breaking down virtue into 50 100 skills <laughs> and really giving women sort of you know the access to this is how you'd make decision this is how you live in joy this is how you manage your home this is how you manage your mind so that we create an integrated life that you know has a capacity for sustained generosity because I think the crisis we have right now is that women are depleted, that, you know, the narrative is that life is supposed to be up and down, that it's supposed to be a hot mess. And that I think that, you know, I, I love um, St. Edith Chanwin says that women are meant to be a, uh, when women are whole, they're meant to be a pillar for society to lean upon. And so that's our dream here is that if, if we can begin in our own internal formation and really, you know, the woman's school is set up a lot like an Ignatian. It's a lot of information that we receive, but information alone does not equal transformation and, and that we have to take that information and then actually look from within and say, where are we in the journey of, you know, um, receptivity? Where are we in the journey of peace of mind? And so it's really about um, beginning with us. So um, that's our dream here as we share in, you know, and invite with really, it's a personal invitation for us um, to be able to enter into intimacy because we know how to. So our, you know, our, our goal here today is to get your blessing and to get your wisdom and your insight, because I think father, we need a father. You know, we need, we need the heart of the father. And, and one of the premise we have in the woman's school is that desire, the sire, if you go back into the Latin word actually means of the father's heart and that every woman is born with a father's dream in her heart and that it is a life of formation that allow us to actually discover God's dream. And so that's where we want to just drink in your well. And that's, you know, been, um, I think, um, I think uh, so many wounds from women today are because we, we have forgotten who we are. 
and we've forgotten who God designed us to be. So that's our dream in the woman's school and really in rebuild our church. So thank you. And I know that Naomi has been instrumental. So our goal today is to just kind of talk about some questions of what does it mean to become a woman of formation, to live that life of receptivity in context of today's culture, as John Paul II always says, um, get your wisdom. Um, But before that, I think Naomi is going to just share a little bit about how I think um, your your life has been an inspiration to her life. And then I can jump into some hard questions, Father. (laughs) (laughs) Father Mike, it is such an honor that you, again, I just echo the words of these ladies to have you with us. And I just want to thank you because, and, and especially echoing just what, what Ange said and, and Jenny too, just that, you know, you have really just, just such a way of um, communicating your spiritual fatherhood to your children. And I mean, on, in quarantine on there with 23,000 people being able to join you at mass and feeling like one of your children and my, I am nine children and my husband too. And like, it, it just, the beauty and the, um, and the, the grace that you celebrate mass is just such a gift to the world. And I think it really helps just, it has helped our family to inspire our walk with Christ to just, to have this burning desire to go deeper and that, you know, that there's nothing that needs to stand in the way of that, just to challenge us to really be able to, um, to experience the heart of the father more as your spiritual children. So I just, I'm so grateful. Um, my family is so grateful and I know, um, so many others that I've talked to have. So I just thank you for helping me as your spiritual child, just to grow, um, grow deeper in my relationship with Christ. It's, it's really such a blessing and I'm I'm eternally grateful and we pray for you. And I really do mean that all the time. We make visits to the sacrament for you. My son offered his first Holy Communion. So we're just so grateful for you. (laughs) Thank you. Others watching. (laughs) That's incredible. That's incredible. Oh, well, we're going to, we're going to die. I'm sorry, Father, were you saying something? I just said, that's a big deal. No, it it means a lot. That's yeah. So. All right, Father, we're going to dive right in. And I'm intimidated though. Now I don't know if I'm going to have anything (laughs) profound to say. I don't know. Uh, yeah, keep on doing that. Whatever you guys started doing, just keep on moving. Is that good? Is that good? Is that good? Oh. <laughs> Drop the mic. Even encouragement is great. Uh, no, I think it's so fun because you we, you have such amazing stories and we can laugh with you, but at the same time, you know, um, when you really strike that heart chord too and you're in tears, we're like, oh my gosh, she's crying. Crying right along with you. You know, it's just yeah. beautiful. So. My nieces, you know, speaking of like the quarantine masses and whatnot, which we're going to start back up in August, uh, because just with all the spike and things, kind of not all churches being open, we'll start back up that, that back up in August. Uh, one of my nieces, like, were you crying? Oh my gosh, he's crying! I'm like, listen, second grader, simmer down. I got, I care about this stuff. <laughs> That's actually, you know, it's funny that um, even uh, we had to take a break uh, with the online masses. Why? Because I recognized that I needed to take a break. Um, what it, what it normally happens is, uh, and this is good, dovetails hopefully into uh, what we're going to be talking about right now, is is that um, 
normally what will happen is we'll get to the end of a semester and there's a built-in break where I just get to have a couple of weeks of just, okay, I get to recuperate. Um, just kind of takes a lot out of me just to be given. And so even quarantine time wasn't like things slowed down. Things were just as, as busy, if not busier, just as fast paced, if not even faster. Um, and then we're like, oh my gosh, like you mentioned, there's a bunch of people who are relying on, on, on us providing spiritual nourishment and mass. And, and so we went you know, all the way through June Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out, uh, do we keep keep going because of this? And and balancing that with, okay, um, I, ah, gosh, you didn't. This is the tension that so many human beings, so many Christians, and so many women experience, which is, but they need me. I need to keep giving because you know there's this there's this important. I've been entrusted with this thing, uh, whether that be family or friendships and relationships or, or mission. Um, I can't possibly say no, or I can't possibly take a break without letting everyone down or without even like, you know, having the father in heaven, like, like, listen, you, you couldn't do just one more. You couldn't just keep going. Like is really, was it, is it really that hard for you? And there's some this accusation, like the accuser can rise up uh, and say, no, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. Um, and I'm so grateful because I have people around me, including the people at Ascension who are like, father, if you need, like, we don't need to do this. If this is like taking too much out of you, you don't have to. And, I was like, well, I, I think what I need is I just need a break. Like just even like a month of, uh, I fill in in parishes and around our diocese. Um, and uh, just like, just do that and get to just kind of like take a breather. And if we need to, if we discern this, you can come back. But there's something I think that needs to be spoken into before we take up, talk about, you know, vision and talk about like really living on purpose. That is, you know, the Lord doesn't simply desire our work. He doesn't simply desire our crafting this life. He desires our hearts. And, and if we become so, if I become so preoccupied with uh, serving, 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 and uh, that I, that, I don't know, you know, my heart gets wrung out or um, for whatever reason, I just kind of lose my place in his heart, in his heart, then um, that doesn't honor him more, you know, not. So there's, there's this balance between uh, striving like, that we're called to. I mean, Jesus himself to strive to enter the narrow gate. We're called to strive. He tells us, in fact, that word strive is a command word, verb. It's like, hey, you strive <laughs> um, and abiding. Because he also says, remain in me, abide in me. And that sense of saying, okay, Lord, I can simultaneously, I know you're calling me to strive, but I also know, I absolutely know that you're calling me to abide in, in you um, more than anything. And so I think the first word I just wanted to offer is that you have permission to rest. Yes. Maybe another way to say it is you have permission to let people down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many times people are like, but keep the masses up. Keep, please keep them going because what do we do? And it's like, you know what? I'm not Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think he's going to keep loving you. I think he's going to keep giving you his grace. Uh, I'll do my best. I only can do what I can do. But you also have permission yes. to put it down. You have permission to put it down uh, when it's time to put it down. And then when it's time to pick it back up, you just pick it back up. That's all. Yeah. Well, that is a great segue, Father, and in some ways answers actually our question number one, because I think just to kind of frame the question is that in the woman's school, we really talk about managing our integrated wholeness, which means that we're always managing our friendship. It's not just contributing, you know, giving, 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 right? Like <clears throat> at the same time, we're not, you know, we're, we're not paying attention to our rhythm of life of prayer, or I'm not taking care of my husband, or I'm building the woman's school, but yet my house is in chaos, yeah. that there's no order in my home, that my kids' formation are lacking. And so 
our, you know, our dream in the women's school is that it's always integrated and you're always working in harmony with the fact that, you know, every part of our life actually matters, not just our contribution, but that also our health, <laughs> our physical health, our mental health, eating healthy. And as a matter of fact, today was such a dance for me. I'm like, I have to eat healthy because then I'm in a podcast and I can't think straight if I don't <laughs> eat junk food, but I really want that cobbler. But, but you know, it, it's, it's that magic and wholeness. So Father, in context of that question, what do you think are the roadblocks that you see uh, maybe women specifically, because that's our audience, um, that are hindering women to build a life based on wholeness that allows them to contribute contribute sustainably. What I mean by that, it's not today's a good day, today's a bad day, tomorrow I can, and and, and we're sort of in a roller coaster as opposed to you know I think of our lady, she was a constant reservoir, right? What do you think are the roadblocks that women are struggling with today to continue a life of sustained generosity? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I, I, I would start off with this. I would start off with the, the concept of the work beneath the work. Um, because there's, so I, I think I got this from C.S. Lewis, uh, but he had mentioned the, I can't really know where he mentioned this. I just, I love C.S. Lewis so much that I just, I think I think in C.S. Lewis. Um, but uh, he talks at one, some point about um, the, you know, we're all called to carry a weight. We all called to carry uh, some kind of burden. We're all, we're all called to do some certain work. And that's fine. And typically, if we were just did that work, we would be tired at the end of the day. You know, we'd be we'd we'd have like that sense of like, okay, I accomplished something, but we wouldn't necessarily be exhausted because the work, even after the fall. So that let's go before the fall. Work isn't a curse. Work is actually one of the three things we're made for. That we're, that we're put in the garden and we're made for love. Like it's not good for the man to be alone. So here's this made for love and with relationship with God, love. We're made for leisure on the seventh day rest. We're also made for labor. And that sense like we're created to do this because here's God himself as a laborer. He's himself as a worker. So one of his gifts is like, live like me. Well, I make, he is love um, that he labors and he also rests on the seventh day. And that recognition of being able to say, oh my gosh. So the labor itself or the work itself, uh, while it can be, uh, it, it can um, tire me out. Mm-hmm. If it leaves me ground down, that's an evidence of the fall. Yeah. Because the way in which God created work and gave us labor was like, no, you work six days and then rest. We can't even rest, right? Because, because I, I mean, think about it. how crazy is it that I was thinking about this in the last four weeks when I was trying to like, gosh, Lord, what's happening? Um, mm-hmm. How crazy is it that God has to command us to take one day off a week mm-hmm. and say, let that be a day of rest and a day of worship. Yes. Let that be a day for me and a day that you just get to recharge. It's almost like, and then we're like mad about it. Like, oh, Sunday, you know, I, I, I want to keep working. And we're like those kids that when you tell them, maybe your kids, like if you tell them it's time for a nap, like, no, I don't want to, or go to bed at night. Like, I don't want to sleep now. You're like, listen, if someone got, if someone gave me permission to sleep at 8 PM, I would be so grateful to that person. Like you have no idea. Here's God himself. Who's our good dad who says, okay, I made you for work, but don't. Don't grind yourself down by this. But after the fall, our experience of work is either, um, it's usually two extremes or it's some mix of this. One extreme is that work is simply drudgery. So work is simply uh, the thing I have to do to get to the weekend, thing I have to do to get my paycheck. Um, and sometimes that's just, in some ways that's kind of how it is, but it's after the fall, it's simply that. Or it's the opposite end, which is work gives me my identity. 
mm-hmm. or it gives me, my, gives me my worth. So if I've contributed, um, then that's phenomenal. That's who I am. And if I've failed, then that's awful. That's who I am. And so but the, but that's, those t- two distortions are distortions because of the fall. Um, either work being merely drudgery or work giving me my worth. And you recognize that pre-fall, work is a gift. It still can be hard, um, but it's not meaningless. So it's not drudgery. And it still can like give me like a, it can be a way I participate in the divinity of the fact that we're made in God's image and likeness, but that's not my identity either. And so to, to recapture a certain, uh, a certain vision for what work is, and when I say it, the work beneath the work, I'm either uh, working and I think it's meaningless. And so what's the point? What's the point? I'm getting up again and I, I'm washing more clothes and I'm getting up again and I'm and here they are, they left the light on again and I have to get to work again or have that same commute again. Or it's my work gives me identity. And so if I succeed, I'm a success. And if I fail, then I'm a failure. And there's this constant tension of not only are we working hard, therefore we're tired, but I'm carrying double weight. Mm-hmm. Not just the work, but the work beneath the work. And sometimes again, that's identity. Sometimes it's meaninglessness. And sometimes for women, uh, maybe for everybody, but I wanna say, my sisters, my daughters, it's comparison. What are some of the obstacles to living a life on purpose, a life by design, a life that honors the Lord? Is this temptation towards comparison to looking to the left, looking to the right and and saying either I'm winning or I don't measure up. Uh, And even if I am winning, um, the moment I, I can't stop, I can't slow down, I can't have any signs of weakness because if I do, then I'm not winning anymore and, uh, and what, what does that mean about me now? Um, I think some of some, those things, those, those twists, those distortions, I think can so easily become the obstacles. Again, it's not sin necessarily. It's not the fact that I'm doing all the wrong things. It's I might be doing all the right things and wondering why am I not more joyful? Mm-hmm. Why am I not uh, more free? Why am I not like, this is what I was hoping. I prayed for my vocation. I'm in my vocation now. Why am I not like full? Well, I'm doing, it's not that I'm doing the wrong things, but I might be doing them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And all I mean by the wrong way is I'm carrying a burden that the Lord never asked me to carry. Mm-hmm. It's that burden of comparison. It's that burden of meaningless work. It's a temptation or it's that, 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 that burden of this is what gives me my worth. Um, and I think if we can clear some of those things out of the way, then I might find, I find, my, I might find myself going at the same miles per hour. I might find myself still running like really hard running to win but I'm not running with that hundred pound rucksack on my back. I'm able to be like, oh, this is a hard race, but like, it's a race though. As opposed to this is a death march and I hope that I make it to the, okay, I mixed my metaphors. I'm so sorry. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes it makes total sense. So much, so much. And father, I just, I just want to honor you and thank you. My, my background as a missionary for over almost two decades, and I hit the wall hard several Mm. times. I mean, flat on my face, had to take time off. And it was because I never felt the permission. This was a wound that the Father had to heal in my own heart of the permission to rest. Yeah. And I want to thank you, Father, for modeling that, because it's one thing as, uh, it's one thing to say it, and it's one thing to live it. And I hope that that this past month, and not only were you helping in parishes, but I hope you were on the lake. I hope you were in that place where your heart is restored 
and, you know, and with family, because I think, again, abiding, like you're speaking to, of taking that, of truly believing that it is, you know, in the proper order of things, you know, our Lord first, our vocation, rest, recreation, and leisure, and then the mission. If we truly yeah. live that yeah. and trusting that the Father will literally expand and multiply our time, our energy. Um, but again, even in you taking that time to model that is in a sense giving us permission. No, that makes that sense. And thank you for that too. Desires, desires our rest. He does it. We're yeah. not, we're not his slaves. We're his beloved children and, and abiding or even more fruitful just yeah. by having to show up. Well, that makes sense too, because like it even can give us, I think I'm so glad you said that. Um, and, and thank you because again, permission to rest, um, or else what happens is there, there's, a, there's a resentment that can build as well, not just an exhaustion and not just kind of a, a, the temptation to all these things. Another obstacle is resentment. And that resentment is, uh, um, this isn't what I thought it would be. Uh, this isn't what I was, I felt I was promised at some point. Like, you know, if I do the right things and, um, or even kind of like, well, how come everyone, it seems so much easier for everyone else. And I, here I am stuck being the one who has to do these things. I, um, it was last summer, this ex upcoming weekend, last summer, I had, uh, there was a conference I was supposed to serve at that was canceled. And so I, I had the weekend and I had two options. I had the, well, three options. I had one option was I could, um, I think there was like another thing I could like say I volunteer for like another conference. The second option was I could uh, just put it out there, guys, priests in our diocese, if you need any help this weekend, I'm available. My third option was I could just be home. Like I could just like not go anywhere. And, and what had happened was in the kind of the months leading up to this, one of the things that would happen to me a lot is on Saturdays, Friday nights and Saturdays, I would be like, oh, I just wish I had a Friday night. I mean, I remember when I had Friday nights, Friday nights were awesome. Like just can hang out like the end of the week. People are like, Hey, it's the weekend. I'm like, yeah, that's when I got to kind of crank it up and make sure that we're ready to go. Um, and then Saturdays, I go down to a coffee shop to like just spend all day on uh, work, mostly on a homily and see people like reading books, they're reading the newspaper, they're visiting with people. I'm like, and a little bit of like the, well, I just wish I had a, could do that, you know? So I had this weekend where it's just like, here, here's a gift. You don't have to work. Just, no, just rest, rest, you know, take your Friday, take your Saturday. And it was so good. And I remember getting to Sunday night being like, Lord, this was so good. Not only was it just good to rest, but I remember having this clear conviction. I think it was a grace um, of like, I, God, this was so good. It was such a gift. And I'm so glad that not every weekend is like this. Like, I'm so glad that you've given me a mission, that you've given me the opportunity to struggle on Friday and to struggle on Saturday and to wrestle through like what you want me to speak to your children. Like, thank you. So that, that purposefulness, uh, mm -hmm. that work is not drudgery, it has purpose, but also I can put it down because it's not my identity. Like you had mentioned, Angela, like that sense of, no, it's, I'm not his slave. He doesn't want a slave. He wants me to be his son. And uh, yeah, so anyways, that little anecdote. <laughs> love that. um, I love no, that's, so in the woman's school, Father, the first thing we actually do in our formation is get rid of comparison and competition. Mm -hmm because it's a blockage to receptivity and we teach women how to rewire their brain mm -hmm. so that um, there is no comparison competition. And the way we teach women is that if you have a dream so big that you can't really compete and compare because there's so much discipline behind the dream, mm 
that all you can do is cheer on everyone else that's chasing a dream a dream that's so much bigger than you are. So I think that we hit the right, the, the word comparison and competition. And, you know, I, so much of, I think now we're learning so much of how our brain works and we can use it all for the good and for the bad. And I think, you know, through neurologically wire comparison correction and eliminate completely is actually really possible. It's like learning a new language. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the first thing, Father. And the thing that popped out to me is the distinction between um, that our work does not define us, mm -hmm. but it is evidence of our meaningful contribution. And what I mean by that is that in um, so many, you know, in our culture, we are defined by what we do our production, our perfection, our popularity, we call it the poisonous pea in the woman's school. And so it, it holds us women back from the freedom to fail, from the freedom to rest. Because, you know, right now, if you look at the secular space, strong woman equals I can do it all, all by myself perfectly. And the narrative is, is suffocating, you know, and it's shameful. And, you know, as a mother of seven, eight, actually, I mean, the, the mind battle that you have to say that my kid's not disciplined does not define my worth. <laughs> you know, my, my, my kitchen does not define my worth. And, but it's such, I feel like a battle because I think the narrative is, is so strong of uh, in our culture today, of what defines what makes a woman, you know, good or strong that you have to be so resilient when your boundaries in you know managing um, what's expected of mothers, <laughs> what's expected, and so I think what pops out to me is that there's an order, right, and that it, it can't be chaotic that you just give because I think burnout is a crisis for moms, yeah, yeah. you know. And what I'm seeing is the domestic church is suffering because we're, we're we don't have permission to rest as moms. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't know if you come across that, Father, even as, as a father to moms who want to give everything, and yet they're depleted, and, you know, they want to give to their kids. And so maybe that's a good segue, you know, even with Naomi said, how, how do you, what do you tell moms, you know, right now in a domestic church where we are to be a pillars of, of hope and of joy and reservoir, and yet we're defined by what we do? Right. Well, I think one of the things that uh, keeps coming kept, kept, kept coming up as you were describing this is, um, you, know, you mentioned like my kitchen uh, or my how my kids are, all these kind of things. And you will hear um, a men, many of the women in the women's school um, will will say, "Oh, well, that's not me. That's that's not my issue. My issue, uh, I, so that doesn't connect with me." But maybe it's uh, my appearance. Maybe it is uh, the way my husband looks at me. Maybe it's the fact that I don't have a husband or something's happened in our relationship or whatever that kind of thing is that um, to, the evil one is so uh, sneaky and that whatever he can use, he will use mm -hmm. to get us to that place where um, we don't believe that we're loved mm -hmm. just for the fact that you're worth loving, that he just wants to love you, that he just, I mean, that's it. It's so, so in, in one of the, the most pernicious elements of this whole thing is that there's always going to be proof. What I mean by that is, um, well, the reason why I'm loved is this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People love me for my appearance. People love me for my goodness. People have loved me for my generosity. I serve so well. That's why people like me around is because I serve all the time. Um, uh, because I show up and I always say yes, you know, whatever that thing is, um, that's the reason why I'm loved. 
And if someone were to challenge that, say, no, 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 they're, they're, they love you for you. If, if anyone were to challenge that, you always have proof. Mm-hmm. Like you always have examples of people who have loved you because of those things. There's always going to be people who have, no, they actually, they did love me because I was the good girl. They did love me because I, or, or they didn't love me because I was the one who uh, caused trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we can, we can place our worth even, I can think about this, we can place our worth on the idea that um, we're loved to the degree that we make it easy on our parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this, like go back to like, uh, like the prodigal son. You have the older son who says, look, all these years I've slaved for you. Not once did I even ask for a you know, goat to feast on with my friends. And one of the things you hear in the, in the older son's voice is that he saw his worth in the fact that he didn't cause his father any trouble. Mm-hmm. And how many women who are in the women's school who are like, well, yeah, I mean, I've, maybe I have a past. Maybe I've made you know, mistakes or I've sinned in a way that is, you know, I, I still bring up. But other times, maybe it's like, no. My, one of my wounds is that I see my worth. I see the fact that the father in heaven loved me because I've not caused him any trouble. Yeah. As opposed to he is captivated by you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, like how he actually loves. Yeah. yeah. Which is without this condition of like, you have to keep serving. You have to be like this. You have to be lovable. And I think that a lot of us are really affected by um, this, like the the Ur syndrome. Mm-hmm. And the Ur syndrome is this this notion that like, okay, fine. Yeah, I know the father loves me, but, or I know I'm lovable, but I would be more lovable if I was just a little bit more Ur, whatever Ur is, mm-hmm. if I was just cuter, if I was thinner, if I was smarter, if I was funnier, if I was more hospitable, if I was generous or, you know, like that, whatever that thing is, like, there's proof that no, people have loved me more because of these things. And so if you're going to tell me that, no, you're just worth loving how you are. Well, I can show you that there's people, maybe my, even my spouse, maybe my kids, they love me more when I'm more er, whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, the Lord is trying to crack through in us is, is uh, that he's saying, no, actually, I love you right now as you are, question, do I have permission to love you as you are? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to spend all of my love, all of my time, all of your time in prayer, trying to convince me either why you're not worth loving, how much I love you, or that I'm, or that you're more worth loving than I love you, which is impossible because I love you an infinite amount (laughs) like that. Or, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like earning. That's we're so yeah. conditioned to earn our father's love, earn somebody's attention. So I've never heard that er, but we're gonna use that in the women's school. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, Father Mike, we talk, we really try to help women to develop scripts. Yeah. Because the evil one, I I truly believe here in the, the 21st century, it's sanctity is a battle for the mind and a battle for our thoughts. Yeah. And so the more that we can help yeah. women. Uh, have manage their mind and manage their thoughts, they're going to be equipped. And so just as you're speaking, uh, the script comes up for me, there's time to run, there's time to rest, and there's time to release. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, so often as women, you know, going back to the garden, like Eve, we're grasping, we're holding so tightly. And, uh, you know, our Lord uh, desires us 
not to be passive, but to have that active receptivity, just that open posture and that releasing, you know, at, at every, our releasing control, releasing, you know, releasing our, our image of how things should be, how God should love us, how we should earn his love. Um, I just think you speak to that so beautifully. So thank you. And one of the scripts we have in the moment school is my worth is objective, right. not subject to everyone else's opinion of me or even my, my own opinion of me. Even my own opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that I, you know, and so I think it's, it's, so I know that, you know, we're kind of condensing all the questions here, Father, and um, Naomi, if you have any thoughts, you can chime in as well. But, you know, as a, as a Catholic woman today who wants to live um, and to truly design a life that of contribution, what do you think are more the practical formation that you see working on the ground grassroots that women need today? You talked about decision-making scale. I know your book and, the, you know, if you could outline five key skills and we, in the women's school, we define skills are virtue broken down because I'm, yeah. I think I sit through Dr. Han's classes of theology and virtue. I'm like, Oh my Dr. Han, that's impossible. So <laughs> we just kind of broke down virtue and, and make it kind of manageable and attainable. So Maybe you could speak to that in a very practical well, way. Yeah, one thing I would say is is that uh, prayer. I, I think that uh, the kind the person who can pray in any circumstance is a person who can live their faith in any circumstance. Um, a lot of times uh, we don't necessarily know how to pray, and therefore, or our prayer is conditional. Therefore, our faith is conditional, um, and and. and and I don't just mean say your prayers, but I mean to truly communicate to the Lord, uh, with the Lord, sorry. Um, there is, uh, gosh, I forgetting. There's a number of books that are really helpful when it comes to prayer. One is Time for God by a man named Father Jacques Philippe. Mm -hmm. um, so good. And it's not, that's, that book is not even a how to pray. And he makes it very, very clear at the very beginning. He's like, this is not a how to book, but he, he's giving you the principles for what a deep prayer life can be. And, um, but there's other how to prayer, how to, how to pray books. But I think that um, I know, like you're mentioning that the script has to be objective. That God's love is objective. Uh, his, his perspective is objective as opposed to ours that are subjective. And to be able to then place ourselves under his gaze on a regular basis, um, it changes everything. And, and I, 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 because it reveals so much to us, uh, it reveals his heart. It reveals how we are, seeing ourselves it reveals who we are in many ways so as an example one of the so here what, what do you mean pray how do you just not just say your prayers but pray one element of prayer that i've made kind of a regular part of my prayer on a reg, on a multiple times a day basis is to not simply dwell under the gaze of the father but i'll say this to meet the gaze of the father mm -hmm. i know for me there is this element where there, there's three words you go to prayer um, and you behold and you're there to be held. Mm. And so that sense of like, I always remind myself of those three words. Okay, behold, behold him. Uh, and then like, and then be held by him. So it's, it's reciprocal and it's receptive, right? So it's not really passive, but it's, it's active receptivity. I'm receiving his gaze, but there's something so powerful and it, it may might be just in, it happens in my heart, but I think it happens in everyone. When I can not just simply, again, dwell under his gaze, but I can meet his gaze. Because when I meet God's gaze or meet the gaze of the father and look back up at him, all of the shame stuff like comes to the surface. 
And I'm like, I don't want to look at him in the eye because like, ah, then he'll see. And I can just like close my eyes and kind of dwell under his gaze. Like, yeah, I'm here. You know, and all this stuff is hidden behind me. But if I look him in the eye, I, you've, had, you've had that experience right, with other people, with human beings that you really respect or, or maybe with a spouse that's that sense of like, okay, we're looking at each other in the eye and we're not looking away and we're speaking and this person knows me very well and they know my strengths. They love me, but they also know where I've failed and they, they know my flaws. And there's something so powerful about to be able to meet the gaze of the father. You know, again, it doesn't have to be for a thousand years in your prayer. It could even simply be for like, you know, just for a moment or for an extended moment in prayer. Because again, as I said, what it does is it reveals his heart if I let it. And it reveals my heart if I let it. And sometimes out of that gaze will come the content of my prayer where it's like, Wow, Lord, this is uncomfortable. Okay, why? Like, what's going on? Why is that uncomfortable? Well, because of these things. Or maybe because it's, I don't know. Well, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Um, sometimes it's like, God, this is so good. Like, why? Just to be in your presence. Um, and to meet your gaze is so good. Well, why? I don't know. Well, let's find out. Let's talk about it. And it can be, again, it's not accomplishing. We're not trying to fix stuff. We're just looking at each other's in the eyes. And uh, man, I'm just, so you said five, I give you one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just gonna ponder on that, to sit there, you know, to be held. I think that really huh? struck me is to be held. And I think my mind is conditioned to mom. I'm always holding my child. Ah. And to just even allow that, I, in my mind, while you were talking father, I'm like, how do I look at the father's eye? <laughs> you know, I mean, literally to, to, to pause and 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 what that active receptivity looks like and just be you know and so that was it's funny you mentioned that because yesterday i had a chance i was you mentioned the lake earlier and i was at the lake yesterday with my uh, i was able to go there uh this weekend i have my my nephew's confirmation sponsor and so i was able to be hanging out and whatnot but yesterday i just had some time with my mom and i i shared a couple weeks ago uh in, in the online masses that my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about four or five weeks ago. And, uh, and so those, those, those moments of like, and I, I'm one of six. And so I made a joke of like, I'd never get one-on-one -on -one time with my parents because like, there's too many. Um, but, uh, the last couple of Mondays, I've been able to kind of be there briefish or not brief, you know, a little longer. Yesterday was one of those longer times. And I was, we're just talking about stuff and, and I found it interesting because sometimes, I don't know if you have this experience, like when you're the one talking, I kind of look around, you kind of just kind of like kind of you get your thoughts, but to like look someone in the eye as you're speaking with them, because she was just watching, she was just looking right at me. And so every, sometimes it's weird, like I'm gonna look away because what am I saying? Because um, there's something so intimate mm. about and revealing, right? About looking someone in the eyes and and that's one of the reasons why again this is like for your kids you all have kids like that sense of being able to say look them in the eye um teach them how to look mm -hmm. adults in the eye uh your husbands like to be able to say look like just just have some eyeball time let's just have uninterrupted mm -hmm. eyeball time um for a while and it could be so uncomfortable right i i'm so uncomfortable at times and then with the lord too gosh just imagine what our relationships human and divine would look like if we didn't do anything and i'm not trying to accomplish anything but i'm just having the same conversation but while looking you in the eyes 
and recognizing that this matters. It makes a difference. And yeah. Exactly. It's like intimidating. It's like fully seen. Yeah. Yes. And my spiritual director in college, Father in Steubenville, my homework, I couldn't do it. I couldn't look people in the eye. And I don't know if it was shame. And so my homework was to literally count to 20 and look people in. I'm not joking. So literally it was like 10, 9, 8. I can only do 8. <laughs> like it was, and it was so simple. Yeah. But it, you know, and as I look back now, it changed the way I actually prayed. But it, I didn't even think, but she said, January, there's a shame in your eyes. Mm. And you need to be seen. I could cry thinking about it because it was so simple that I had to count in my head to show up. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not be ashamed of who God made me to be. But like right now as a mom, like eye contact is a formation that if you go to our middle school, there isn't any. And in a world going 100 miles an hour, for me to form my child for eye contact, when they go out the world, nobody's having eye contact. Like, it's like, a, it's like a vortex. And it's, you know, I feel like Mother Teresa back again of like, it's a smile. So I am going to pivot, Father, for our last question, because I know time is up, is that who formed your priesthood? Which woman formed your priesthood? And what do you think is the role of women and mothers in the formation of our vocation specifically as priests? Because this is now really hitting home into our capacity of what God needs women to be in the formation of our children. So maybe you personally, you talk about your mom, which I didn't know. And I'm, you know, so. Yeah, get, no, thank you. Thank you. She's awesome. She's doing such a good job. I mean, she's, but wow, that's a great question. Uh, what? Um, one of the things that I found, uh, here's what I didn't appreciate necessarily, um, was when I, as a young priest, uh, like moms in the parish saying things like, oh, I'm just like your mother. I'll be like your mother or something like that. I'm like, listen, lady, I got three moms. It's good. I've got my mom named Goody. I've got mama Mary and mother church. Like I don't need a fourth mom. Um, so, and I didn't say that cause I am. <laughs> I know when not to say stuff sometimes. Um, but I also, stepping back, you know, I, I get the sense that I get, I think I understand that someone's like, no, I just want to help. Like, I want to take care of you. And I want to, um, I want to support you. And that's what's at the heart of it, right? It wasn't a cha- it wasn't an, an attempt to say, I'm going to demean anyone. Um, which is why I didn't say it out loud, because I didn't need to demean anyone back. Um, but gosh, I would say, who you're, I, I'm absolutely convinced that there are, that the church has fathers, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. The church needs mothers as well. Um, I think one of the things that we, we wouldn't have an issue, well, it's not that, it's not that pronounced really, at least in my area, when it comes to the, the people feeling anxiety over like, why are women not ordained priests? Um, mm-hmm. But I think that we would not have that as an issue at all if we, uh, we have a priest in every parish or give or take, you know, um, to have uh, our religious sisters in every parish as well. Mm-hmm. You'd be able to see that spiritual motherhood just you see out of the priest, a uh, uh, spiritual fatherhood. Um, and that would, that would dramatically, uh, I think, change the way in which we saw the complementarity mm-hmm. uh, of that. So it's just like in, in, a, in a home, in a family, you see the, the complementarity between mom and dad, mm-hmm. familially, biologically. Um, and you're like, well, who's more important, mom or dad? Like, that's not a question. It's not a question at all. In a parish, that absent 
um, those roles of, of women who are spiritual mothers, I think then you have this sense of like, oh, the important one is the spiritual father, which is not true. Um, so I think there's an element there. Uh, at the same time, in the home, right, there's that sense of uh, biological and spiritual fathers and mothers that the parish has an, is an extension of then. Um, so I love when I see the, the men in the parish taking on that role of like, no, I, I yeah, I'm, the, I'm a biological father of my children and I'm a spiritual father of the, in, in this parish. Like I, I, I participate in that fatherhood. And I love it when I see the mothers as well. Like, no, my primary vocation is to be a, a, a wife and a mother, uh, but I'm also a spiritual mother in this parish. Mm -hmm. um, there was a woman named Sophie Haglin who uh, she taught religious ed on Wednesday nights and she raised her boys. I'm one of her boys' confirmation sponsors. And, uh, but she raised dogs, she and her husband uh, <clears throat> bred dogs and trained dogs. Not that that matters, but that's what they do. Um, and her witness of, to me, even in high school was just so profound that um, she gave up her time on a regular basis uh, she like cared deeply. Um, not only she cared about the Lord and about the church deeply, but she cared about the kids in her class deeply. Um, I, I don't know if it's talking out of school to say that I don't know if any of her, her biological sons practice the faith. I don't know if any of them do right now. Um, but her, so it's a, I say that as an encouragement to moms who they're like, I care so much and I want, I want to uh, help lead my own children to the Lord. But here's some woman who, again, her own sons may, might not be practicing, but I myself was so influenced mm. in a way that she would never have any idea. Like mm. I've tried to communicate, but she doesn't, wouldn't, wouldn't grasp necessarily like the depth to which, because it's so subtle that it wasn't like this profound moment. It wasn't like she like took me out to coffee or something like this and really invested deeply in me. But it, it was her influence and it was her, uh, her presence and it was her faith that just, it radiated from two pews behind because we were all, always in the front row and they were in the row three. And um, So that's a, that's a small example of someone who is just really profoundly, uh, that in other areas, if she, if she, you know, because again, let's go back to comparison and basing worth off of um, our work. You could place your worth off of like, oh, so are my kids, how are they doing spiritually? Uh, I failed as a mom if they're not thriving spiritually right now. Now that, um, keep in mind, their stories aren't over. Uh, but here, Mrs. Hagelin, who could, she could say, my, I failed as a, as a, as a Catholic woman, right? I feel as a Christian mom, but no, she still influenced them. They still know that she loves them and they love, she loves the Lord. But for, for me, she's done so much to uh, influence me. Sorry, that might've been a really vague slash random answer, but uh, that's what I got. <laughs> well, no, the impact of one woman. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's our, our hope in, in the woman's school is not what we do, but it's who we are that bears witness incarnationally of who Christ is, right? That it's not I that live, but Christ lives with me. And that's really, I mean, I feel like that's a lifetime of formation to even, you know, do that. So um, thank you, Father. If you have any, you know, um, <laughs> continued advice to women that are, you know, 
in the world right now trying to live holy lives, but often are pummeled, you know, just because yeah. of our culture. And um, I, I think that we want to, sometimes we feel like we don't know how to, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, here's one thing I would, I would offer because it was in one of the questions that you had, you had laid out and was the difference between passivity and active receptivity. And um, the example I always use uh, is uh, uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Mm. So Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Fred Astaire was a professional dancer. Ginger Rogers mm-hmm. was not a professional dancer. She was um, an amateur, but Fred Astaire said that Ginger Rogers was his favorite dance partner. And one of the reasons why she was his favorite dance partner is because she was an amateur. She wasn't a professional. And so because of that, she let him lead her wherever he wanted to go. Um, And I just think about that in terms of here's our Lord. Um, So passivity is, (laughs) imagine this, uh, here's the Lord, like dragging this person around, just kind of like, okay, I'll go wherever you want, but I'll just like flop around versus active receptivity, which is, okay, you're leading me this way. I'll go this way. You're leading me back. Okay, I'll go this way. I'm not anticipating your movements because this is one of the things, again, um, ladies, I don't know if you overthink things. Maybe you might. Um, but that sense of like saying, well, no, you started leading me this way. That's where we're going to go. Like, no, we led that way to then turn back. Like, but, oh, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It's dance. It's dance. Just let me lead you in this. And the greatest dance partner of the greatest dancer of the last hundred plus years was an amateur because she let herself be led really, really well without anticipating where he was going to take her. But being active receptivity is in fully engaged with what he was doing so that when he moved, she would move. When he moved back, she'd move back. And without being disappointed, again, because if I anticipate this or expect it, I'm going to be disappointed. I thought we were going this way. Well, you, then you turned. Yes, because we're dancing. And um, I think I think if we took that perspective of, hey, Lord, you're leading, which means that even though we're going down this road, there's a bunch of roads off of this. You might make a U-turn, and that's going to be great because I'm ready to move wherever you lead me. Um, and I think that could really help us, the setting aside anticipation, setting aside expectation, but simply uh, being fully engaged with what, God, what are you saying right now? Where are you leading you right now? You're doing something in this right now. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to move. Isn't that profound? I think like, I I don't even think back to my own um, vocation um, calling, I would say, until I was in that spot of receptivity, the Lord just said nothing to me, you know, until I was ready to say, okay, Lord, you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of a fighting back and forth of thinking, oh, I must be called to be religious, because that's exactly what I do not want to do. And, and different things like that. But until I was in that spot of receptivity, and finally saying, okay, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do, whatever it is, I'll do it. And I think that, you know, moving forward through our whole life, you're absolutely right. We're, we're absolutely just called to just let him continue to lead us in the dance and to be just faithful that's all that's all we have to do is be faithful yeah we just have to keep we have to keep going one step in in front of the other or just letting him lead and just be you know receptive and joyful and just um at peace because we can't do anything until we're in that place of peace Mm -hmm. and receptivity oh it's awesome father thank you found trust Mm -hmm. (laughs) the divine dance party 
Yeah. Vines <laughs> dance party. Know that you're loved. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Well, yes. you said she, he was a master. That's the key. He yeah. was a dancer, so she trusted him. Right. And, you know, that's a divine trust that he is. So that's really actually really beautiful analogy. And in a woman's school, we call it dance parties, Father. We're willing <laughs> to pivot when moms kind of have to recalibrate. Yeah, them. that's we're, great. We're not that's overwhelmed. Great. We're just having we're a not, dance party. We're just having a dance party. <laughs> so, we're willing to pivot. That's, a, that's our script. So thank you so much, Father. It is truly a thank great. Thank you all so much. Yeah. It's, it's an honor to be with you all. Oh, thank you for your vocation, you know, for your sacrifice. And we need you more than ever. Um, we need holy priests to help us become yeah. holy women. So I just honor you, Father, in every way. Yeah. And Father, Keep striving. Just be, thank you for modeling rest. And we encourage you to rest. We need you to rest. So whenever yeah. that, that little doubting voice comes up, Go rest. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can continue giving from a from a full cup. So, and, and put on your glasses on the lake. I can see Father's like permission. Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear from you. Please write us at info at com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. And to learn more about our work at The Woman's School, please visit our website, thewomanschool.org. Finally, we encourage you to take the Wholeness Quiz, which you will find on our website, thewomanschool.org. Because as St. Edith Schein taught us, as a woman becomes whole, she becomes a pillar on which others can lean to be made whole. Thank you, ladies. Until next time, let us rise and together rebuild our church.